Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a weekly show that brings you the most interesting content in InfoSec, technology, and humans. The idea is to curate around three to five hours of weekly reading into a 15 to 30 minute summary. The goal is to have you caught up on current events, tell you about the best content from around the web, and hopefully give you something to think about as well. You can get the companion newsletter with all the show notes and links at danielmesor.com newsletter. All right, welcome to episode 84. I'm going to start off with a story that just happened recently, which is the release of another piece of worm ransomware called Petya. This one is very similar to WannaCry, but it looks like it might be worse or at least more virulent in terms of spreading. So basically what, um, what it's doing is in addition to the eternal blue stuff, and this is very early analysis, so could not be a hundred percent correct, but it looks like in addition to the um, NSA method of transferring, it's also transferring via PS exec and credential sharing. So it actually gets onto boxes that can see legitimate credentials, and then it uses those credentials to log into other boxes. So it looks to be spreading very quickly. And uh, one of the things I wrote about this is basically, there are like three main things to think about uh, when you look at the quality of a ransomware worm, or maybe a worm in general. Uh, well, uh, actually, yeah, a, a ransomware worm, right? So it's propagation, payload, and then payment. So propagation is how quickly it can spread. And usually that means having lots of different ways to spread. The payload is, you know, does it actually encrypt files correctly? Um, is it hard to bypass um, or impossible to bypass without, you know, paying and getting a good decryption key? Uh, because some, some versions of these things uh, are just really easy to bypass uh, because a mistake was made. Um, and then the third one is payment. And I think the payment infrastructure is an interesting part of the story that not a lot of people talk about. The WannaCry, for example, they couldn't handle the load. It appears that they couldn't handle the load of so many people reporting in and saying, you know, give me a decryption key, I'm willing to pay. So if you're really good at propagation, you might hit hundreds of thousands of machines. So the question isn't just, can you encrypt? The question is, can you receive hundreds of thousands of requests for a decryption key? Can you receive the payment? Can you build a custom decryption key for each of those instances and actually get them to them? And this is important because if you don't do that step, then people are going to realize that, you know, you're not going to get a decryption key anyway, and they'll just wipe their box. So that's money lost. So it'll be interesting to see um, if this one, the Petya one, they actually have a good payment infrastructure and if they make a lot of money, or if this one will be similar to WannaCry, only have a few addresses, they basically can't scale and, uh, you know, they're not able to make much money off of it. And of course, all of that is assuming that they're actually trying to make money off of it. And there's not some other, you know, major motive like disruption or cyber war or what it, whatever the case may be for actually releasing the malware. So that's that piece was pretty exciting. Um, 
other news from uh, last week. So an RNC contractor called Deep Root Analytics basically leaked 1.1 terabytes of voter information on around 200 million people, which is most of the voting population in the US. Uh, they were basically storing it online in an unsecured S3 bucket, which seems to be a common problem now. And the information was stuff like names, uh, dates of birth, addresses, phone numbers, and other voter information like ethnicity, religion, and stuff like that, which could be pretty sensitive, especially all put together. Anthem is paying $152 million in a data theft class action settlement after 79 million records were stolen during a, a breach of their systems back in 2015. And a bunch of Western tech companies, including Cisco, IBM, and SAP, are giving into Russian demands to have their um, source code released. So basically, Russia is basically saying, you know, I'm not putting your products and your security tools and whatever in Russia at all unless you let us see source code. And um, I had a, kind of a snarky little quip here, but in the newsletter, but um, I don't know, I, I would be worried that um, that they're going to do something with it. I, I mean, I, I think we see that Russia is kind of run by the KGB, essentially, the FSB. And it seems like, uh, I mean, that's Putin, that's the, the, the intelligence community there seems to be running the show. It, it, from my perception, and I'm not a Russia, you know, deep expert or anything. But it seems like any move that they make has some sort of tie to how can we turn this into an advantage for the country. And uh, so I would be very cautious of this. It looks like Symantec backed out of doing that um, and basically said it was too much risk and they're not going to participate, which is interesting. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce has proposed having public cybersecurity ratings similar to credit ratings. I would expect this to happen. Um, I think I've been talking about this in various ways for a long time. So combined with cyber insurance and cyber risk ratings, it's kind of all part of the move towards audit and accounting within InfoSec. And I think the trend will accelerate as more data is gathered that you can use to base scores and premiums off of. The NSA now has a presence on GitHub with a number of defensive tools already added, like 30-something tools. Interesting move by them. And I'm starting a new section in InfoSec in the newsletter and the podcast, which is basically just a patching section. So it just says patching. And here I've got listed OpenVPN, VMware vSphere, Siemens, because there's multiple products vulnerable, and Drupal. So basically all four of those had... Um, some significant vulnerabilities this week and you want to check them out. I try to put them in order, but they're not strictly in order in terms of magnitude. I put open VPN first because it's an infosec uh, news section. So that's how I'm going to do that instead of having, you know, Oh, more vulnerabilities found in Microsoft or whatever. I'm just going to have one section with links to all the different vulnerable software. Technology news, one of the hottest things in tech right now is actually what's called an initial coin offering, an ICO. 
So you basically created a new digital currency, kind of like Ethereum or Bitcoin or whatever, and then sell it to people. And they can use that um, currency to buy things uh, f from your company, right? Your product, your service in the future or whatever, or potentially could become a currency and you can exchange it or whatever. And people are making like millions or tens of million dollars in like minutes because of these things. And actually startups are starting to use this as a means of raising capital for their, for their companies, for their startups, uh, which is kind of crazy because it um, bypasses all the rules and regulations around raising money. So it's kind of controversial and it's super hot right now, especially in the Bay Area. Google's launched a jobs search engine, which looks to be pretty good. Netflix is experimenting with interactive shows where viewers get to make choices and have different outcomes. I, I think this is a big part of the future, especially for media. It's like choose your own adventure. It's like role-playing. It's like, it's like viewing, but active viewing. Um, it's also like user-generated content. It's not quite that far, but it's getting closer to that, which I think these are all powerful concepts for media going forward. And Twitch has an exclusive streaming deal with Blizzard for over 20 major eSport events. That's really big news for Twitch, uh, partnering up with a really powerful name in Blizzard. And uh, Walmart has told its vendors to get off of AWS if you want to do business with them. So basically, Walmart and Amazon are on a massive collision course because Amazon is so deep into logistics and now just buying a grocery store um, and looking to basically Amazon that whole market. I think uh, Walmart's getting very upset about that. So they're actually telling their vendors, if you're on AWS, you need to get off of it. This seems to me like a move of someone who is losing and is probably going to lose because it's just like spiteful and I don't know, kind of sad. So I, I don't expect uh, Walmart to fare too well in that. I think uh, people might just try not to do business with Walmart. For a lot of people, th that won't be possible, but... I don't think this is a strategy or a tactic that's going to work for them long-term. Human news. Calorie restriction keeps appearing in studies as a promising way to extend human life. So it appears that the processing of foods speeds up your aging and eating small amounts of food keeps this happening very slowly. It's like as you consume X amount of food that basically accelerates your age. And if you eat tiny amounts of food, like a lot of, uh, you know, monks and stuff like that, that's why they're living to be past a hundred. It appears and tons of studies are showing this. So we're already seeing this definitively in short lifespan primates. So we're actually studying this now and you can actually have controls when you're actually control what they eat which is hard to do with humans, especially over a lifespan. And, but th they are currently doing a bunch of studies with humans along these lines, uh, longer term. And it looks like uh, it could be perhaps the easiest, well, kind of like diet and exercise, the easiest in that it's easy to talk about, but hard to do. But uh, yeah, evidently if you just eat much less food, it, it kind of slows down your aging. So 
really interesting research. A visual of who Americans spend their time with over the course of their lives. This thing is fantastic to look at. It's a, uh, basically shows like, oh, friends, um, partner, spouse, parents, that kind of thing. And it's just a very clear visual line across a human lifespan. And it's a series of these charts. It's very visual. It's quite interesting. You should check it out. The top 1%, which this study marked at around 300K a year, are spending money on education, experiences, and health rather than material items, which have kind of gone out of vogue for, uh, for the top 1% or basically, I mean, basically wealthy people, right. Is, uh, is what they're saying, but the middle class is still obsessed with these same things. And they, they say the middle class is around 70 K per year and is still buying items to show their wealth. So another, basically the, pitch for this article was that the rich have decided to or are showing their wealth in different ways than conspicuous consumption like they used to. And now they've switched to these other things, which is traveling and being healthy and uh, spending it on education. Now, I'm not quite clear if they're talking about education for their kids or if they're talking about continuing education for themselves. I imagine it's a combination of both. Young men are playing video games instead of getting jobs. That was an interesting story. Um, older men are fathering successful geek children, but with higher chances of autism. And coal plants are coal closing all around the world because solar and wind are making them unviable. This is really good news. And I'm reading a book right now called Zero Marginal Cost. And... Uh, there's a chapter in here about um, energy. And this is just fantastic news. Uh, when coal plants are closing and oil uh, production starts diving because it's just not as effective as solar and wind, I mean, that is just gonna be so good for, for the world. Ideas, OWASP top 10 lists are art, not science. This comes from the OWASP event that I attended in London. They say London is actually 50 miles north. Don't be fooled by that. But um, yeah, it was a great event. And uh, one of the things I talked about in uh, one of the sessions was how a lot of people think that OWASP is like parsing all this massive data and they got a data scientist and they have all this stuff and the data plus the algorithm produce this perfect OWASP top 10 list. What actually happens is people contribute mostly garbage data, which is highly not the same, right? It's just looks completely different. It's biased in so many different ways. Maybe it comes from 10 orgs. Maybe it comes from 200. Who really knows? And what happens is you have these, these smart, uh, generally unbiased people who run the project and they basically make their own decisions based on, you know, decades and decades of security experience and the, the free volunteer time that they're spending working on this project. But it's very much people deciding what's on the list and they're guided by the data. Um, 
So this was a piece about that. And it was a point I brought up in one of the sessions about the uh, sort of flagship OWASP top 10 project. Gun control and British terrorism. That's a little bit political there. I'll let you read that one. Uh, the universe's final problem. This one is kind of a science fiction type deal. It's actually not sci-fi, but I go a little bit sci-fi at the end. Um, you should check that out. It's about heat death and basically what super intelligences, united super intelligences will have to combat to stay alive in the universe, which is ultimately entropy and heat death of the universe. So check that one out. Um, four things the far left is doing to drive moderates to the right. I really enjoyed this piece. I had written it like almost a year ago and then put it in drafts because I wasn't sure if I wanted to release it, but I ended up releasing it. And uh, it's a bit political for this um, podcast, but um, I'm still putting the link there in case you want to read it. And terrorism may destroy traditional religion. This one is um, also somewhat political, uh, so I'm not going to go into it, but it's just about um, the effects I think uh, terrorism, like we're seeing in London, might have on society. And uh, all right, yeah, so I think um, this one, next one is about the previous link I talked about um, a bit ago. I think one reason young men are staying out of the workforce and playing video games is that normal life, you know, job, you know, spouse, whatever, is one way to get meaning and gaming is another one. So I wrote a piece about this several years ago where I talk about how I think humans can only maintain one meaning structure at once. And if you lose one, then it really doesn't matter to you anymore, right? So in this case, young male gamers are simply losing interest in pursuing the regular life because their meaning now comes from gaming worlds and gaming progression. So basically progression inside of a game and getting value from inside of a game, it tricks the mind into thinking that is the value system because this is a dumb evolutionary built mind, right? So if you give it a meaning structure, it believes it's the real one and it discards the other ones. And I, and I absolutely, I wrote about this, uh, talking about the dangers of role-playing and, and role-playing too much because that value structure gets replaced and you just don't care about anything else. And I think that's what is happening for these young uh, males in the world who are just deciding, you know what, I'm just not going to get a job. I'm just going to stay out of the workforce and I'm just going to game. And um, this could be seen as really bad. But given my belief that jobs are going away anyway, and that we'll need to use gaming to keep people occupied, this might be a kind of a soft landing for that effect. Saw this other story. Uh, St. John's is a liberal arts college with a prefix menu. You get four years of literature, language, philosophy, political science, and economy, and math. You get three years of lab science and you get two years of music. That is it. You can't select anything else. There's no electives. They have decided what they teach and it's one program. I think it is so amazing. 
I absolutely love the idea. I wish I could have gone to this school, honestly. I might try to go to school in the future. Who knows? But to me, it hits the note of curation, right? Where you trust the service provider to do the hard work of program selection for you. You either like it or you don't. And I think we're going to see a bunch of colleges doing this with different prefix menus, right? You'll have some that are tech oriented. You'll have some that are like history oriented, some that are economics oriented, but ultimately they have a mix and it's a unique mix and it produces a different, you know, type of graduate. And uh, I think it's just a spectacular idea. And I, I would love to go to an organization like that or a, um, you know, a university like that. Um, oh, institution. That's what I was looking for. And the last one here, people in power basically develop brain damage, including the loss of the ability to mimic and read people. The implication is that once you stop observing and listening, you become an infinitely worse leader. And you're actually usually losing the exact traits that got you into the position initially. And I think they might've been loosely talking about Trump here, but I think it also applies to a lot of tech leaders. Um, I don't think it was an overly political statement. I think it was about the effects of power on people, people's ability to listen and process information and be intelligent and make smart decisions. Uh, basically humility is essential to being a good leader is what they're essentially saying. Discovery, the Gruck calls out bad advice. Many are giving regarding securing your technology when you travel. This is a great piece of analysis. It talks about just a bunch of stuff being recommended in a ton of uh, different articles out there that just doesn't make any sense. And he goes down the list and makes it very clear. Uh, a smart visual guide to AWS security. This is another AWS security guide. I did a similar one. This one is uh, got some visuals and it's more in depth. It's quite good. You should check it out. Thoughts on building an office where you can actually be productive. This includes the idea of a Raspberry Pi powered traffic light that lights up green, yellow, or red based on how much noise there is. The idea is if you want a quiet workplace, you put these Raspberry Pi traffic lights around. And if it's yellow, you start giving people dirty looks. And if, if it turns red, you throw, throw stuff at them, right? So pretty cool concept. You want to have a green, quiet, productive place to work. A Canadian sniper has achieved a confirmed kill at 3,540 meters, which is over a thousand meters past the previous record holder. And fun fact about Canadians, three out of the five record holders for long distance confirmed kills in military history are Canadian. Don't really expect that from Canadians. How to detect bull? in the field of machine learning and data science. A pretty good argument for not drinking coffee or tea on airplanes. It's basically airplane tap water, which is sounds like it's pretty nasty, full of E. coli and all sorts of nasty bacteria. Um, I'm definitely not going to do that anymore. 
10 free highly recommended books on machine learning and data science, catfish, P-H-I-S-H. You give it a domain and it'll analyze that domain and suggest phishing domains for you to use during an attack. And Brute Spray takes Nmap output, uh, basically the greppable form, and sprays the discovered ports with brute force attempts for SSH, FTP, Telnet, VNC, and like a dozen other services. Pretty cool tool. And notes, my buddy Sasha is selling a MacBook Pro for $1,700. If you're interested, you can email me and I'll put you in contact with them. I expect the laptop to go pretty quickly, uh, just like it did last time I did this. I went to EDC this year again with uh, Jason and it was glorious. We also went with um, our buddy Martin and his brother and uh, we had a fantastic time. Looking forward to next year already. My book is available in both Kindle and paperback now and I've set up a Patreon account. If you'd like to support the newsletter, you could do so with a small monthly subscription. Would really appreciate that. And I want to give a shout out to Kevin who gave me a $100 subscription on Patreon the other day. And uh, yeah, I reached out to him on Twitter. And I just want to say here, I really appreciate that. It's uh, very, very cool to uh, see people support the show in that way. And recommendations, uh, two book recommendations. I've mentioned them before. If you want nonfiction, you should read Homo Deus. And if you want fiction, you should read The Three-Body Problem. And this week's aphorism, success consists of going from failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm. Winston Churchill. I'll see you next week. All right. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget that you can get the show notes for this episode, including the links to everything mentioned in the companion newsletter at danielmiesler.com slash newsletter. And if you like the show, please share it with a friend or on social media. I'll see you next time.